0: What's the title of today's message? Why a woman can't preach. Why can't a woman preach? Now, why would I preach this sermon sitting in here where women preach quite regularly? I preach this sermon because one of the things we believe about the body of Christ is that the body of Christ is far bigger than any denomination, any church, any single pastor. We encourage you to attend Bible studies at other churches. First of all, you may be able to see something that you can bring back to us that we can use. And second of all, just so that you can see what other churches do teach. Now, one of the consequences of saying, go out, go out, go out, and then you also have people who are coming into the church who are new, who don't know all of the scriptures, Um, you're going to run into some teachings that are different than what we teach. Uh, And that's okay. What you've got to do, though, is to be grounded in your faith to know why it is you believe what you believe. The scripture says, be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks a question of you. Now, when it comes to the Bible, recognize this. There are um, each church... ...looks at the Bible from a particular perspective. This thing is getting on my now. Each church looks at the Bible from a particular perspective. Each pastor looks at the Bible from a particular perspective. Each one of us is biased when we come to the scriptures... ...depending on who we are, what we're looking for and where we are coming from. As a result, we are not going to agree on everything, but we will agree on the core teachings of who Jesus is, and what Jesus said, and what sin is, and how we ought to deal with sin. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, it's all right to disagree. It's all right to disagree. Alright, it's alright for us to disagree, so you don't got to fuss and fight with anybody. Now, our goal as pastors in teaching you the Bible is not to get you to memorize a whole bunch of facts. Our goal in teaching you the Bible is to learn how to apply the Bible adequately to your life so that you can make the kind of changes in your life that God wants you to make, okay? Now, in understanding the Bible, you cannot understand a verse of the Bible unless you look at the verses around it, you look at the context in which it is found, you look at the people or circumstances it is written to and is addressing, and you look at the reason why is this being recorded in the first place. For instance, you will will get yourself in a whole lot of trouble if you don't. For instance, there is a verse that talks about Satan is the God of this world. Now, does that mean that Satan is God like God is God? Does that mean that since Satan is the God of this world, we should pray to Satan? In order to understand that verse And what it is saying adequately about Satan We need to look and see What does the rest of the Bible Tell us about Satan We also see that Judas Who was one of the 12 disciples Felt very very sorry about his sin What did he do? He went out and committed suicide By hanging himself Now, does that mean that the appropriate thing for a Christian to do when he or she fails miserably is to go out and hang themselves? No. So even though we got a record of that in the Bible, that is not the course of action that we are supposed to follow. We have the rest of the Bible to interpret for us what was going on there, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. Now there is a verse in which Paul is telling Timothy, he says, Timothy, take don't drink water only, but drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Does that mean every Christian who has a stomach ache should head for the nearest liquor store to get some wine in order to get well? <laughs> No, Paul gave that message to Timothy for a specific reason. Maybe the water Timothy had been drinking was contaminated. And Paul is saying you need something to help kill whatever it is that's in your body. So there are some things that are written to a specific church or a specific individual for a specific reason. We need to look at the entire Bible. Now, there were some things that were not allowed in the Old Testament that are changed by the New Testament. The Old Testament says, do not eat these foods. The New Testament says, all of these foods are clean if offered unto God with prayer. So the New Testament has now changed what the Old Testament said. There are some things allowed in the Old Testament that are prohibited by the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you could have several different wives. In the New Testament, you are prohibited from having several different wives. There are some things prohibited by the Old Testament that are also prohibited by the New Testament. You couldn't commit adultery in the Old Testament and get away with it. You can't commit adultery in the New Testament and get away with it. Okay? So we recognize some things change, some things never did. They are all they have always been prohibited. Now, The role of women in the life of the church and society continues to be a baffling point for many churches. It is one of the dividing lines that we have made in the body of Christ between those who love the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at verses, a lot depends on which verses you are going to choose the Bible through, look at them through, And which verses you are going to choose to dwell upon. In the Old Testament, we had a very rigid system of priests and prophets. Priests performed duties in the tabernacle and all the men were priests. But there were women from priestly tribes who also served in the tabernacle. Now prophets, nobody got to choose to be a prophet. God chose whom he wanted to be a prophet. Now, when we look there in 2 Kings, which was 22, 11 through 20, which we read today, when King Josiah, let, let me just give you a little background. The, the, the King Josiah, his father was about as bad as you can get. And the father before him was a little worse than he was. They had almost completely wiped out every copy of what we would call their Bible. But what Josiah told them, we got to start living for God. We got to do this thing right. Uh, let's clean up the temple. While they were cleaning up the temple, somewhere hidden, they came across their version of the Bible. And they what is this thing? And they took it to the king and the king said, oh, this don't look good here. Go and get the prophet for us to speak to. Now when he said get the prophet for us to speak to who can tell us what God said he said this to the high priest. Now you would think if he was looking to hear from God he would speak to the high priest or somebody else on his cabinet. They didn't. They went to Huldah, who was married to somebody else. Because they knew the word of the Lord was in this woman who was a prophet. And so they asked her, interpret for us what this book means. And she says, this is what the Lord God of Israel said. And everything she said came to pass. Now you'll hear some people say, if God is going to speak, He's going to speak through the man first. And if um, God is going to say something, the word of God is going to come to a husband before a wife. Now this verse doesn't say anything about it when they went looking for Huldah's husband. They went straight to her because everybody must have known Huldah has the word of God inside of her. So then we look at the New Testament. We see Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And when Jesus is finishing this lady, she immediately becomes an evangelist. She goes back home, and her first sermon could have been entitled, Come See a Man Who Knows Everything You've Ever Done. And by the time the lady got through preaching, the whole city of Samaria, all these men, came to hear what Jesus had to say. Now, I have never preached a sermon where everybody decided, let's go find out more about Jesus after one message. So, if this lady brings all these people to Jesus, and Jesus accepted, what does that tell you about Jesus' position on whether or not women can preach? And then in the book of Acts, chapter 21, we find that Philip, who was one of the seven Deacons, original deacons, the scripture says he had four unmarried daughters, all who prophesied. Now prophesied a lot of times just means to preach. Now if it is the spirit that gives us spiritual gifts, and prophecy is one of the spiritual gifts, and the Holy Spirit gives one man's four daughters this gift, What does that say about the Holy Spirit's position on whether or not a woman should preach? Okay, now what we're going to be doing in the next few minutes is to look at the script passages of Scripture that support women's role in the full life of the church as well as those that go against what we would think of as women being allowed full access in the church. And a lot of times the the controversy isn't so much over the gift that is received as it is a specific office being held in the church, such as elders, deacons, um, bishops. Now our, our study should start there in Galatians 3, 26 and 29. I think you've got that verse. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, let's look for a moment back in the first part of that verse. When it says, you are all sons. Who is included there when he says sons? How do you know everybody is included in the word sons? Because the scriptures tell you, right, it said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So we see when the Bible uses the word sons, It is inclusive of everybody here who belongs to Christ. Now, it is clear that when Paul uses this word, sons, he is talking about women and men. Can we all agree on that? Okay, and then we look at the birth of the church. In Acts 1.14, it tells us that the women were meeting with the disciples constantly in prayer. Therefore, when we get to Acts chapter 2, where they are still praying and the Holy Spirit falls upon everybody there and they all start speaking in tongues and giving utterances, are women speaking there or are just men speaking there? Everybody, everybody is speaking there. Now, Peter says in Acts 2.8, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans. So some people will see that part of the verse and they'll say, it says right here are not all these men. But if you listen on to Peter's sermon, Peter goes on to say, What you are seeing is a fulfillment of God's promise that he would pour out his spirit on both men and women and all of them should prophesy. Now, those of you who may remember our study on spiritual gifts, I tell you again, I tell you, the word prophesy in most of the time means the same thing as to preach or to speak forth the word of God. Now, in our study on spiritual gifts, we also saw that you get your spiritual gift based on the spirit's desire. It's not based on your sex. Not based on how tall you are, how short you are, how good looking you are, how intelligent. No, the Spirit gives the gifts to whomever he wants to give them. Okay, again, when we study scriptures, there's some ground rules we've got to ask before we really hit a particular problem. Here they are one more time. First of all, you are going to ask. What is going on in this particular passage? What problem is being addressed? What is the particular admonition being given? If this is followed all the time, will it contradict other parts of the Bible? Just like that verse that said, uh, have a little wine for uh, stomach's sake. Now, if we all showed up here tonight, we got stomachs Pass me, some wine, and we are all like this before the thing gets over. It has contradicted that scripture that says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. So we know there, there was some limitations here. We also say, does this writer say something else in another situation? And if you follow this whole passage, not this verse, with the same literalism, will you have sound theology? Okay. Now let's look at some of the passages that Christians have used to divide themselves over on this issue. And our focus is not on the husband-wife relationship, because I think that's a separate issue than women in ministry and women as leaders in the church. Now, the only time the word minister is used in the New Testament in the NIV version is used in 2 Corinthians 3.6 it says he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life ok the scriptures just said he has made us competent as what? ministers so that means you are minister Paulette Howard according to the scriptures So if y'all go out and say, well, I'm Minister Andrea Villas. You what? Don't you know what the Bible says? Well, well, yes, that's where I got my title from, right here. Okay, that's the only time it's going to say ministers, identifying us as ministers. The only time the word pastors is used in the NIV It's used in connection with spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are decided by whom? God. Ephesians 4.11 says, It was He, referring back to God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, isn't it unusual that some will say, It's okay for a woman to be an evangelist or a teacher, but it's not okay that she should be a pastor. Now, look at that verse and tell me where it says, It gave some women to be evangelists and teachers only. You don't see that in that verse. Okay? You don't see that. Um even though people try to make this distinction, if all of the stuff is in the same verse, then the same verse has to be interpreted the same way. I also find it strange that some people will okay women teachers in high school and college, but not okay them to teach Sunday school. (laughs) That just boggles my mind. Or they'll say, it's okay to teach them until they become a man. So as long as I'm 17, 364 days, God is pleased with you telling me all about him teaching me a galore. But the moment I turn 18, God said, don't you say another word. (laughs) That does not follow Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 through 35, it says women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, some have taken this passage literally to mean that a woman should never speak in church. But again, you look at what is going on in the passage. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you will find it is entitled, Order in the Worship Service. Now, we try to find out what is going on that's messing up the worship service it looks to me like some women are causing disorder how are they causing disorder they talking they asking questions uh, in the service. Somebody is saying something, and somebody keeps saying, wait a minute, what about such and such? They are asking these questions. Is he talking about the person who's in the pew, or is he talking about the person that is up here? Is that verse saying anything about the person who is speaking? Do we know the sex of the person who is speaking? No. No. All we know is there are some women out there in the congregation who are causing... The ushers hadn't been formed yet to tell them to be quiet. Now you also recognize that when Christianity began, this is the first time women were allowed in the service with them. And so they would be asking their... Uh, uh, also it says they should ask their own husbands at home so I guess the women who weren't married wasn't causing the problem it was the ones that had a husband there and when he said it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church like this what did he mean by that was it disgraceful because the men were supposed to be teaching what they learned in the synagogue at home But if this lady got all these questions about the obvious things, it's obvious that the men weren't teaching what they were supposed to be teaching. Otherwise, they would not have had to ask these questions. Now, again, if you take this literally, where a woman should never speak in church, the same churches that say this keeps a woman from speaking in church, will allow women to get up and make announcements. This verse doesn't say a woman shall not a woman shall not preach. It says she shall not speak. So every woman that come in would have to get her mouth taped over just in case she was tempted to speak. Now you also have to ask what exactly is Paul talking about because if you keep reading that same chapter in I mean that same book we know Paul could not have meant a woman was never to speak because he spends a whole section of a chapter saying listen a woman who prays or prophesies ought to have her head covered now if she never was going to speak why would she
1: cover her head
0: so that she could pray or prophesy now this word prophesy is the word for preaching and he is saying that look, now if she's going to do this she needs to cover her head so if he assumes she's going to have the gift of prophecy. Where is she going to use it if she can't use it in the church? She's supposed to preach at Walmart? Okay, so again, we look at the whole context. Paul says, the law forbids a woman to speak. You've got to ask yourself, what law is Paul talking about? Because there is no verse in the Old Testament that says a woman shall not speak. As a matter of fact, we got women speaking all the time in the Old Testament for God. So whatever law he is talking about is not a law that we as Christians would be bound by because it's not in the Old Testament anywhere. Okay. The next passage we look at is from 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It talks about the qualifications of overseers, which are elders, bishops, um, and deacons. Now, the word overseer means to have superintendence over or uh, take care of. Oversight means loving care and concern. Usually when we think of an overseer, we think of a pastor, and uh, we usually think that there's one of them in the church. Most of our churches have one pastor. That's the American model. That's not the New Testament model. The New Testament model is there's usually three or four uh, pastors in a single church. You remember in, uh, when we were talking about spiritual gifts, it says if one is speaking <coughs> and the revelation comes to another, let the first one sit down and let's hear what the next one got to say. And it said two or three of you speak at the service. Now could you imagine what would happen if I'm in the middle of my sermon and Peter says Pastor uh, Rick could you sit out I uh, word just came to me <laughs> that would not go over <laughs> too well but that's what would happen in the New Testament and the first person was expected to sit out and everybody would listen to what the second person see, um, said Now, we saw in the very beginning that you can have the word sons, and it means men and women. Now, this passage here, it starts out saying, Here is a trustworthy sage. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now this passage of scripture is usually taken to mean that women are excluded because Paul uses male terminology of the word he. But Paul specifically said in the Greek, if anyone... If he wanted to have used the word man, he could have said, if any man, but he doesn't. In the Greek it says, if anyone. Now, some people will say, well, no, 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 I don't want to hear nothing about no Greek. I just want to see what's right here. Okay, let's look and see what's right there. If you take this verse literally that says, an overseer must be the husband of one wife. Is he saying every pastor overseer must be married? Because you can only be an overseer if you only have one wife. Is he saying that an overseer cannot be cannot a person cannot be an overseer if he has been divorced and remarried? Is he saying that an overseer cannot have two wives at the same time? <laughs> or is he saying that an overseer must be a man now all of us are going to read this verse and we're going to say "Now, which one of these things makes sense here I don't think anybody want to exclude all single people from being bishops, elders whatever because this said he must uh, be the husband of but one wife when Paul said if a man will not work, do not let him eat. That's good, That's good. That's good Jerry said. <laughs> well, if a woman refuses to work, <laughs> should she? <laughs> I think we both know the answer to that is she needs to work in too. <laughs> okay? So that is it possible when it says an overseer must be the husband of one wife Paul recognizes we also know an overseer must be the wife of one husband is an elder or deacon required to have children since it specifically states a person must know how to manage his own family if he is to manage the church so do we say you got any kids no you ain't ready to be an elder or a deacon you can't manage you haven't managed anybody yet we know that we do not take that literally it is saying if you do have a family then you ought to show that you are living what you ought to be living in your family first Titus 3.12 says a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Again, if we take this verse literally, all single men are disqualified from being deacons. All women, all divorced, all remarried people are ever forever barred from holding the office of deacon. Which means we're gonna have the same five deacons till Jesus comes. <laughs> We know again, that's not Paul's intention. Now the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. Now here we know that we know that Paul didn't mean only a man can be a deacon. Because in Romans 16.1, Paul identifies a woman who is a deacon. Her name is Phoebe. But let me tell you how economics affects Bible translation. If you read in the English in the NIV, it says Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centuria. Because the word deacon can also be translated servant. So if the word says Phoebe, who is a deaconess, a deacon. Why do you think they did not put the word deacon in there? Because a lot of Bible-believing churches are opposed to women's ordination. And if you are going to sell Bibles you gotta make that bible uh, palatable to the people who gotta buy the most of them so instead of going with the word deacon they went with the word servant which does a little injustice to the cause now the king james i believe uses the word deaconess there is no such thing as deaconess in the greek you are a deacon period okay it is a deacon there's no separate office now when um paul says i commend to you our sister phoebe a deacon of the church of sharia of um, centuria she is doing a tremendous job of working for the lord what do you think she was doing Romans 16, Paul names nine individuals that have worked with him very hard in the Lord. Now, if you're going to name nine people, wouldn't it make sense that they probably would be the leaders in the group that you recognize? Seven out of the nine are women. The next passage that would seem to limit women, and the big one for most people, is 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 it says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man she must be silent for Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Mm -hmm. Alright. We've got several (coughs) issues with this passage. First of all, I said, when we look at a passage, we look at the whole context. So, If you don't start there at verse 11, start earlier, three verses earlier, when Paul is talking about what he wants men to do. Three verses earlier, Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Okay, what does lift up holy hands in prayer mean? Doesn't it mean lift up holy hands? in prayer now the churches that say a woman must be silent do they require their men to lift up holy hands every time they pray ok if they don't why not we're in the same chapter now this—that if you look up a few verses earlier It also says um, for women to dress modestly, without gold, without pearls, without expensive clothing. Now, that must also apply to men. So do, do these churches teach that you should not bring gold into their church? Leave your wedding rings at the door. Do they say, how much did you pay for that suit? That's an expensive suit. That's not allowed in here. How much did you pay for that dress? That's an expense. No, they don't do that. Why? Because they know that you've got to understand the culture of the time to understand what it is that's going on here. But see, if you're interpreting the scriptures, you can't have a set of rules for interpreting a chapter and then you get midway in the chapter and change the rules. It's like you're in a basketball game and the other team is forbidden from fouling. But it's okay for you to foul when you get the ball. You can't do that. The rules have got to be consistent. Now one of the things we need to recognize here is that the word translated woman is not the usual word for woman. It is specifically the word for wives. So Paul is probably dealing more with family issues here than he is church issues. And then we got when Paul says not to teach or to have authority. Is this one injunction? or two permanent injunctions. Did he forbid women to teach because they were not capable of teaching because they didn't know enough to teach? Just like earlier in chapter 1 in that section, he says, I forbid certain men from teaching because they weren't teaching what was right. I'm getting quiet on me out there. Now again, we know that Paul did not forbid women from teaching because he commended Priscilla and Aquila and their ministry. Priscilla and Aquila were a husband-wife team. They were the ones that took Apollos. Apollos was a great preacher, knew the Old Testament, but he didn't know Jesus. They were the one that taught him the truth about Christ and sent him on his way. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, they go throughout the Gentiles teaching them the gospel. Priscilla, she had an active ministry because she has mentioned with her husband as and they're always doing ministry together now all women didn't do that because Peter's wife went everywhere with him but you can't find anywhere where Peter's wife did anything in terms of a outgoing ministry which means sometime that's going to be the case and sometime it's not going to be the case her gifts obviously were in a different area now when Phoebe went Rome from Centuria and she was a great help to many people from Rome to Centuria is 600 miles now do you think she went all that distance just to be silent in church and bake cookies I don't think so I think there was somebody else who could have did that And when Paul says he doesn't allow a woman to have authority over a man, okay, we can deal with that because we know that that's Paul's position in the husband-wife relationship. Now, here's the argument that I really don't understand. People put emphasis on this verse, and I've heard a guy preach. It was Eve that was deceived, not Adam. And that's why a man has to be the one to speak. Now, now, help me to understand this. Eve was under a cloudy mind when she decided to disobey. Adam has got all his faculties, and he says, "I choose to disobey." How is he more holy than she is? At least she can say, "I was deceived." All he can say, I did it because I wanted to do it, and I'll do it again if I have to. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, Let's not get into an argument over who came first, who sinned first. He says, In the Lord, Woman is not independent of man Nor is man independent of woman For as a woman came from a man So also man is born of woman So everything comes from God So to even try to build a case around Who sinned first he, He already told us in another passage Don't get hooked up on that and then this verse, if we take it literally, we're really going to get in, problem, in, in trouble. Because at the end of verse 15, it says, we are stuck. Women will be saved through childbearing. Now, if we take this literally as we want to take before it, any of you women who don't have children, heaven help you. You just lost. So the scripture then would be saying every woman needs to get married so that she can have children in order to be saved. And what do we say? That does not make sense. We are not saved based on the role we play with our sex. We are not saved based on the things we do. We are saved based on our faith In Jesus Christ alone. So if you ask me, what exactly did he mean by that verse? I will tell you, I will tell you as soon as I meet Paul in heaven and ask, Paul, enlighten me. What exactly did you mean by that verse? Because I'm really not sure. But I do know this. There is not one way for a woman to be saved and another way for a man to be saved. For all of us were sinners who became part of the new creation when we put our faith and trust in God. Which brings us right back where we started, which says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, there is nothing sinful anywhere in the Bible about a woman being a child of God. There is nothing sinful anywhere about preaching the word of God. So if you got these two things that are not at all sinful, how do you bring them together and all of a sudden sin took place? If there are clear instances of women preaching for God with God's approval, then why do we keep asking the question, why can't a woman preach? Amen.